Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a three times per week college basketball show brought to you every three days a week in under eight minutes. At the time of recording, it is Tuesday, February 13th, 11, 13 p.m. My name is Josh Mullinex. On today's pod, a lopsided result in the Big 12 and another loss for North Carolina. It's all right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Oh, Josh Roaring is here with me. Kansas 50, Texas Tech 79. That's about as lopsided as you're ever going to see a Big 12 game that involves the Kansas Jayhawks, and especially a Kansas Jayhawks team that is ranked top 10 in the AP poll. Jayhawks 17 of 52 from the field. That's KJ Adams and Hunter Dickinson combining to go three of 22 from the field. That's probably not going to get it done. And a very lopsided victory, 29-point win for Grant McCaslin's Red Raiders. Certainly not going to get it done when Darren Williams is literally perfect. 12-12 from the field, 2-2 from the three-point from the free throw line. Sure. (laughs) That seems like that would be an issue as well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And Texas Tech starting to get a little bit healthier. But even when Williams started this game, well, I wanted to give him a shout out because he's been one of the guys who's really had to step up and carry a bigger load with them being shorthanded and having to kind of readjust all of this on the fly. And yeah, he was, I mean, you can't, you literally can't have a better game. He didn't miss. <laughs> and you mentioned the two bigs. Yeah. Three of 22. When Kevin McCullough is not playing and they do that, Basically, in the Big 12, you're just not winning, because especially on the road, because all of these teams are just too good. And then Bill Self gets himself tossed for the first time in his Kansas career. Which is impressive, by the way. He's been there a long time. I was stunned when I saw that. And he's not exactly, I mean, he's not a hothead, but if you ask me to list off the coolest cucumbers in college basketball on the sidelines, I'm not sure I would get to Bill Self very fast. I guess if I thought about it a little longer, like I there, it's not like Bill Self has outbursts. That's just not what I think about him as. And so I was surprised that that was the that that was the very first one. Yeah, it's kind of like Kansas, right? He does a good job of not letting it snowball because he gets technicals for sure. But it's never the double technical, right? You never really feel like he's in danger of actually getting the second one. And yeah, that happened pretty fast. This is my fun fact for the day. So Kansas is now seven and five in conference. We can sit here and say the exact same things about how they can't win on the road. We've talked about that before. Obviously, this was a train wreck. They haven't lost more than six conference games in the Big 12 era. That's that's impressive. They're at five already. Mm-hmm. Seven and five. Yeah. Which is a testament to just how good they've been. Mm-hmm. But it's always four, five, six losses at the very worst, right? This is the probably the first time I can remember where you just don't have confidence in their ability to consistently win games. Absolutely, you're confident they're going to win at home. Mm-hmm. And you're just as confident they're going to lose to good teams on the road. Yeah. 
the the thing that's really surprising because you can go back and whether it's you know the the 2020 21 team that was the team that had like Marcus Garrett was Garrett, probably the yep. most important player on that team. Ochak Baji maybe, but it was the year before the team that won the national championship. And like, I, I think for the most part that season people were, cause that was, that was a year removed from the final Devon Dotson year. And, and the, what's different about this year is that, I mean, this was the number one team in the country and they are supposedly so loaded with talent. Supposedly is 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 probably too harsh because they they are loaded with talent. It just hasn't it hasn't clicked. And then you have McCullough in and out of the lineup, and that of course doesn't help because that's probably the most important player on your team. Um, and that's the most important four players in the country, right? Because you don't have somebody to replace any of them. Yeah, they all have to be great every single night. For Kansas to be a top ten team in the country, it's really quite impressive that they've stuck around in the top seven of the AP poll for as long as they have. Like every yeah. time I look, I'm like, "Wow, Kansas is still fourth. Right. Kansas is still third. Kansas is still fifth. They're sixth this week. Um, after that performance, I know the AP voters will just take a look at the box scores and be like, "Whoa, let's put them, let's let's drop them handsomely." But I mean, even if they if they beat um. You know, if they beat Oklahoma on the road, then, you know, probably it won't be all that different from where they are now, which is sixth. But there have been a couple times this year where I was like, man, that that's really. We're still with and I felt that way tonight with Oklahoma against Baylor. It's again, we're going to talk about here in a mm-hmm. moment. Like, I felt like I've been watching Oklahoma in a semi free fall for the last month and they're still a top 25 team. It's a I guess it's a testament to the Big 12 because you don't lose to a, a lot of bad teams. Right. Um and but, what Kansas did in non-conference as well. Sure, sure. That but, they started from such a good spot that, right, the fact that you win one and lose one every week and beat all these good teams at home and lose on the road, you could But they're still... also, you know, they're also six and five since January 6th. So right, right. it's not like they, you know, they got super, super high because they, you know, won five in a row. But yeah. anyways... Uh, interesting. I am going because I've been on Nick Timberlake's case. I'm going to give a little bit of hat tip to Nick Timberlake, who over the last two games, eight of 15 from the field is four of 11 from the three point line has 21 points combined in the two games. Granted, if they're not healthy, Kevin McCuller and three of 22 from Dickinson and Adams, it doesn't matter what Nick Timberlake does, but um, he has more points in the last two games combined than he did in the previous 10 combined and that includes like six goose eggs so um a a bit of a hat tip not that it really matters in the current situation that kansas is in but if i'm gonna beat the nick timberlake is part of the reason that kansas isn't as good drum then i've got to at least give him a little bit of little bit of uh recognition when he when he puts together a nice game that's what you're ultimately hoping if you're holding out hope it's that the increased responsibilities in playing time because of McCullough's injury, when McCullough comes back, maybe, just maybe, Timberlake can still come in and make that kind of impact in a more reduced role. Because otherwise, it's going to be the same story the rest of the season. Yeah. If You've I find something different. If I made you pick, uh, Kansas goes to the Final Four, Kansas wins 
zero games in the NCAA tournament. Final four. I mean, I mean, the answer is is somewhere in between, obviously. Yeah. No. But final four. They're too, they're too talented, too battle tested to lose in the first round, assuming they're healthy. Okay. One game or the Elite Eight. More likely they win one game or more go to the Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. One game. I think you might be right. Anyways, very interesting what Kansas will do in the last three weeks or so of the regular season. You know who's also made the ACC a whole lot more interesting than we thought it was going to be, Josh? That's North Carolina Tar Heels because North Carolina has racked up yet another loss. That's three in their last five games. This time it's at the hands of the Orange of Syracuse on the road, 86-79. The Orange got all kinds of contributions. Judah Mintz, 25. J.J. Starling, 23. And they did it very, very efficiently. It was a, a quite a performance from those two guys, and it led the way for the Orange. Syracuse had the best two players on the floor. Plain and mm. simple. Though they the guards were absolutely fantastic. You know, UNC misses 10 straight shots to start the second half. Then they climb all the way back in. And kind of what looks like maybe they're actually going to be okay. And then Syracuse goes on another run. JJ Starling hit a couple threes that were very fortunate, but he made the shots. They were at the end of the shot clock. It's not like he jacked him up unnecessarily it, it was just one of those nights where everything was going right for Syracuse huge win for that program new era new coach to kind of keep themselves around give themselves some confidence that's the kind of win you just haven't seen Syracuse get mm-hmm. I believe their last top 10 win was 2019 man it's a while right? ago nobody at the top of the ACC has been scared of Syracuse. Yeah. It used to be, it used to be the place to like, I have vision. I have, I have images in my head of, you know, Saturday afternoon sun kind of shining through the opaque dome of, of Syracuse's building and them going toe to toe over and over again with the Dukes and the UNCs Mm -hmm. of the world. When those teams are top 10, like I have, you know, where, you know, Jerry McNamara, like that kind of, that kind of, that, that kind of image in my head. So, but you're right. It, it hasn't been that kind of place where no matter how good you are, there's a chance you lose at Syracuse mm-hmm. like it, like it was for such a big chunk of really the two thousands since, yeah. you know, the turn since, you know, Carmelo basically. Um, but yeah, big win for the orange. Two more things on, North Carolina's guards. RJ Davis is shooting 37.5% from the field over his last five games to that three and two stretch you mentioned, if I did that math correctly. I believe it's a two and three stretch. Lost Sorry. at Georgia Tech. Yes. Win, it, win against Duke, lost to Clemson. Yes. Sorry. Win against two, Miami. Two and three. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I think I did RJ's math right. Not the wins. My apologies. Yes. This is sure. third loss in five games. Yeah. During that stretch where they've struggled. He's scoring points. But if you look at his box scores the rest of the games, of course he has some games where it's not particularly pretty and he's in the 30s. 
Mm-hmm. But then he's got a bunch of games where he shoots 50% and 48%. And that just hasn't happened in these games. That's part of the story here. We talked about the defense before. But when you don't have all of these things that made them the team that they were, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they are not as dangerous. And part of that was RJ Davis was playing like probably the best guard in the country. The other thing, on a positive note, Elliot Cadeau was really fun. <laughs> His passing in this game was spectacular. I know the season hasn't been great for him at times. It's been a challenge, as you would expect in the super, super experienced college basketball season coming in as a freshman. Mm-hmm. But he, from a scouting report standpoint and a this is what he's supposed to be, it's, at least in this game, he delivered on that. You went, oh. I see it with some of the passes he had. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily show up in the box score, but the the whole idea of him being this terrific passer playmaker for general, if he sticks around for a little bit, he's going to be a special player. 4.7 assists, one turnover, yeah. seven to one turnover ratio on the road in ACC play. That's a, uh... That's typical. Um, the thing I was thinking about tonight is you telling you saying on this podcast, uh, maybe a week ago or so, does RJ Davis actually have to score 25 points for UNC to be that good? And, and maybe it's not quite time to be like, yes, absolutely. That's the case, but it seems to be a much more, it seems to be pretty on the nose, uh, based on what we've seen over the last five games from, from RJ Davis. And that's not to drop blame on RJ Davis for UNC struggles. That's just to say, it might just be that the ceiling of this Tar Heels team is very, very much connected to how efficient and how many points RJ Davis is scoring and how, how, whether or not he's the best player on the floor or not. Which is also ironic because that comment came after a win. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) That's absolutely right. Baycott and Ingram were fantastic and they didn't need him. And then right. The rest of these games in this stretch where he hasn't been great. They have really needed him, and he's getting 19, 18, 17 points, not 25. Mm-hmm. And, right, they've lost three of these five. So, yeah, I've come to the conclusion that, generally speaking, the answer is yes. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, last but not least, let's touch quickly on a 17-point win for the Baylor Bears inside their own building. Number 12, Baylor, 79. Number 25, Oklahoma, 62 Josh, you don't need to look much further than Baylor in their own building when 11 of 21 from the three-point line, and when that happens, you're probably not going to beat Scotcher's team. Nope. Took care of the basketball, too. That's always sure. another big thing, right? They checked, sure. Yeah, they checked the boxes, particularly thanks to Jaden Dunn, who... And those three guards were only had one turnover. They only had five as a team, but, I mean, yeah. two of them came from Jalen Bridges. Like, it's, you know, Reggie Dennis, Jaden Dunn, taking care of the basketball, you know, decent scoring nights. Of course, Jaden Dunn went nuclear in this one, but um, I think that's important too. Like, mm-hmm. if you have eight, if you have eight turnovers, but like seven of them came from Dennis and none, then I, it, like that, I feel like that is a more impactful number than eight turnovers might suggest. But um, then maybe five the other way around is even less impactful than five would usually be but yeah yeah the taking guard, care of the basketball shooting it well what are you gonna do right the guards were very good not that they all had spectacular games obviously none did but they all did their jobs and they 
combined to do more than enough to win this game. Yeah. yeah, there's there's really not too much to say on that part of it. Your new scholarship player, Austin Sachs, comes in, drills a three. That was clearly just him taking whatever shot he wanted, but that's a that's a cool thing. He got to take a shot. He made it. So good vibes all around for the Baylor Bears. Hey, if the you're thing- if, if you're a guy who gets in at the end of the game, be like, I'm grading you based on whether or not you make the three that you get to take or not. But oh, absolutely, got, you got to take the shot for sure. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. The thing I was most curious about coming out of this game, or at least was thinking about, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, this Oklahoma team. We talked right, so they started so well. Then they fall off the face of the earth at the beginning of Big 12 play. Mm -hmm. They had won three of four and two of their last three road games heading into this game. Which is why they were back with a number next to their name and all of a sudden kind of back in the national conversation. But then you just go look at some of their the, the results and they've blown some teams out. They've gotten destroyed a bunch of times. They do have a couple close losses. But generally speaking, compared to the rest of the Big 12 and how competitive this league is, their games have not been very competitive. Sometimes yeah. for better, sometimes for worse. Yeah. And the other thing, too, when you have a conference where you've got, what, three teams, I believe, who haven't lost at home. You have another one in Baylor who lost a triple overtime game, and that was it. Right. The, the idea with most of these teams is they win at home, they lose on the road. And the difference mm-hmm. is, can you win some of your road games? Oklahoma is just random. They lose games at home. They win games on the road. You don't really know what to expect night in and night out, which is kind of what I've come to conclude here because they've been mm-hmm. had really good stretches, really bad stretches. And of course, all of this is leading to Kansas coming to town on Saturday. It's just yeah. very curious to me in a conference where it seems like pretty, you've got a pretty good sense of who's going to win every night just based on who's playing and where the games are being played, yeah. except for Oklahoma. Yeah. 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 Pretty spot on. Pretty spot on. Um, I don't have a ton to add there. I think it's a, it's an interesting, it, it's, I don't really know what to do with them. Um, like I, they, they kind of feel like a team that on, Thursday, the NCAA tournament is going to be like a six seed playing an 11 seed that is really attractive looking like an 11 seed that like if you told me that Oklahoma is a is a popular upset pick um, Mm -hmm. on the in the first weekend, then I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I just there are it feels like kind of to your point, it feels like they could lose on any given night. But at the same time, when I look up and they won, I'm like, okay, I mean, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how like, I'm not really surprised by anything when it comes to Oklahoma. Right. And I'm also not totally sure how good they are at anything. Like they're for the season, good defensively. They're like eh, offensively, but they haven't been that great in either category and big 12 play. I'm just not totally sure what to do with Porter Moser's team right now. I could also absolutely talk myself into get past the first game you're out of the Big 12, you get to the Sweet 16. Sure. Because they are good. They've won too many games in that conference and too many games this season to to not have that kind of baseline level of respect. Right? They're a good Big 12 team, like most of the teams in the Big 12. 
Sure. Yeah, just how good they are and where they stack up against everybody else. It's just weird. They just because kind it's of... not because it's not like they beat. I mean, like they beat Providence in non-conference, and that would have been a Providence team with Bryce Hopkins. But mm-hmm. any other any other games that might have jumped off the page at the time, like USC is now a sub one hundred Kempom team. Right. Um, Iowa is fine, but not great. And a team that you would expect Oklahoma to beat on a neutral court. Um, they got to play Arkansas who they beat, but Arkansas is also a sub 100 team. So it's kind of, I, I think, and to no fault of their own, but I don't totally know what their non-conference performance actually means Mm -hmm. until we get back to the NCAA tournament. Um, and that's not really being me being pessimistic about Oklahoma. It's just when I look at their, at their team sheets, like, yeah, when they beat USC on November 24th, I bet we thought differently about what that win meant than we do now. Right. And, Cause they, they did have an impressive stretch of maybe not world beaters, but decent teams that they beat sure. in non-conference. Sure. And then they perf- have performed fine in big 12 play and won some games and have a signature win against Iowa state and those kind of yeah. things. Yeah. It's, it's just weird. That was all I was just thinking about after this game is yeah. there is just no rhyme or reason to anything. It seems like all the way back to Baylor 79, Oklahoma 62. It doesn't really matter who Baylor is playing. If they shoot 52% from the three point line on Scott drew court, then they're probably going to win the basketball game. Josh, you got anything else from the last couple of days? Three quick things. Indiana state, all the excitement. Final the AP top 25 again. run was legendary. Yikes. <laughs> tough one. Tough one there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Colorado State were looking really, really good at San Diego State until they weren't. Mm-hmm. And then just collapsed. And big win for Providence. St. John's going to really use that game too. Providence holds on for the win. They're <laughs> hanging around on the bubble. Don't know how much beating St. John's does for you at home, but it's a game you can't afford to lose, and they found a way to win it. So that was the other one I was keeping my eye on tonight for NCAA tournament bubble purposes. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I think that's all we got for you. I think that's all I got for you. We will be back on Thursday. I'm taking a quick look at the schedule. We have a top 15 matchup in the SEC tomorrow night. Sure do. South Carolina versus Auburn. Those are two teams that... Uh, maybe I'm sold on South Carolina. Definitely not sold on Auburn, but that'll be a very interesting one in the SEC. Kind of a quieter middle of the week here, but whatever happens over the next 48 hours or so, we'll come back to talk about it Caitlin on Clark. Thursday. Oh, Caitlin Clark as well will likely. Man, wouldn't that be something if just after averaging 27 points all season that she needed nine and didn't get it? Is it eight? Eight? <laughs> I, nine? Think it, I think it's eight. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll likely need to discuss that as well, but that will be on Thursday. That's going to do it for the under eight podcast Tuesday, February 13th. It is 1136 PM. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to your shows, follow the under eight pod on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you right back here on Thursday. <laughs>